Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. On the show today, I've got Don McGuire. He's the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Qualcomm Technologies. Don's leading the global marketing organization to support Qualcomm's advancement into new and existing markets and growth areas. And on the show today, we talk about how the company has increased its total available market by 7x, what that means in terms of their strategies, how they're managing the organization through that growth. We also talk about the brand strategies that they have deployed, both a more prosumer or B2C brand, if you will, called Snapdragon, uh, which is a core element of Qualcomm, as well as managing the enterprise brand and corporate brand of Qualcomm itself. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Don McGuire. Well, Don, welcome to the show. Hey, Alan, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to learn quite a bit about what's new at Qualcomm. But before we get there, I mean, being the CMO of a global company is a really busy thing. Like, what do you do in your spare time? Do you have spare time? <laughs> do I have spare time? I have a little bit of spare time. Yeah, I think I would say that I divide my spare time probably amongst three major kind of things. One is just it has to do with keeping my sanity and keeping myself healthy and balanced. And that's I have a love affair with my Peloton. It really did save my sanity during the pandemic. And I have to say I'm a little bit addicted to that from a fitness standpoint. I love the content. I love the instructors. I love the sense of community. And it's a really good workout. So that's one thing that I get to do in the mornings mostly. Second thing is I actually am a baker, believe it or not. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah, I actually find it very therapeutic. <laughs> I love the science of it and the steps and I kind of get lost in it. And then I love being a results-oriented person. I love seeing the creation on the other side of making sure that you mix the ingredients correctly and seeing things rise or whatever, take new shape. I kind of like that. So baking is one of the things I really enjoy doing when I've got time. And I think the third thing would probably be, I, I'm a kind of a sneaker fan and I do love a bunch of different brands of sneakers and I buy and trade and hold and sneakers. So that's kind of another hobby, I guess I would say. 
That's amazing. Well, it's probably good that you have the Peloton if you really like baking. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, it's funny because I bake, but I don't necessarily eat what I bake. Ah, uh, so, okay. I mean, sometimes I do. Obviously, I taste. Obviously, I taste. Right, but right, right. yeah, my wife sometimes gets mad because I'll bake a bunch of stuff and then I'll leave on a business trip for a week or whatever and I'll leave it all behind and then she gets mad because she said then she eats it. But yeah. uh, <laughs> that's um, funny. But, if you don't know them already, I've had the... CMO of King Arthur Baking Company. Um, I've been there. You have. It's like Baker Mecca. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I've so, been there. I took a class there. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. I, my wife's from New Hampshire. Okay. Or she's from Boston, but her family lives in New Hampshire. And yeah. we went there for Thanksgiving this last Thanksgiving. And right across the border on the Vermont side, obviously, is King Arthur Baking. And so I went with my daughter and my sister-in-law, and we took a pie-making class. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's yeah. awesome. I have to connect the two of you if you don't know each other already. And then the other person, since you love sneakers, is we've had the StockX CMO on. Oh, um, yeah. StockX is a big trading platform. That's right. That's, stuff, that's right. So. Yeah. My son actually kind of got me into it. And I do use StockX as my trading platform, but okay. I'm a, a bit of an Adidas insider <laughs> and stuff like that. So, but I, I think I find myself keeping the ones that I get more often than, than trading them. <laughs> yes. So, because yeah. yeah. I ended up liking them, but I have engaged in some swapping for sure. That's awesome. So when you're not baking or Peloton or <laughs> collecting sneakers, what's been your path to become the CMO at Qualcomm? I've been sort of in and around the technology space for pretty much my entire career. I started off in sales and I think having a sales position is kind of critical to being a good marketer is having to actually having to have to sold something in your career, mm-hmm. I think is actually a good thing. It teaches you how to understand and take rejection. It also teaches you about understanding dynamics and about having good interpersonal skills and building relationships and all that good stuff. So I started out in sales, but after a few years, I made the bridge into product management and then into marketing and have been on a marketing track ever since various positions at various companies. And I've been at big companies. I've been, I've taken my stab at startup land and (laughs) I've actually done consulting for a number of years with a couple of partners. So I've tried a bunch of different things and what really brought me to Qualcomm was just a combination of the fact that I was born and raised in San Diego and came back in 1997 and really enjoy living here. And I hadn't really worked here in a long time because I you know, ran a consulting practice that took me out of town a lot. And then I was working for Intel for five and a half years. And that was a commute up to Santa Clara. So I really was looking forward to living and working in the same city again, because I hadn't done that in a while. So that was one of the attractive things that brought me to Qualcomm in my first capacity here. And then my goal has been to be a CMO of a Fortune 500, Fortune 100 company. And I think if I think back, I would say that Maybe I thought that that would be something that was a little bit more consumer facing or more of a consumer brand that would be enjoyable. But I actually have to say, I really enjoy where I am at Qualcomm. It's a nice sort of bridge between having to understand and be able to articulate a story from a company and business to business perspective, but as well with the Snapdragon brand, push more and more into the consumer space, at least from a tech influencer Mm-hmm. audience perspective and explore the consumer marketing side of my background. So it's interesting and challenging, but I get to do a little bit of both and that's always fresh and fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really feel honored and blessed that the work that I did in my first four years as the head of product and technology marketing here allowed me the opportunity to be chosen by my predecessor, Penny, as well as by Cristiano to lead the marketing organization here and become the CMO. That's awesome. And I know, like you just mentioned, you've got these two (laughs) elements, two complexities in your business, the the B2B side and the consumer side with Snapdragon. It's enough to manage one of those, but like, how do you think about balancing the two brand strategies, if you will, and how you go to market? Yeah, it, it is a challenge. It's also an opportunity. We just recently separated the two brands and If you look at it, well, if you kind of go back in time, and this predates me here at Qualcomm, the Snapdragon brand actually started out as a standalone brand. And this is way back when Qualcomm was a very young company and there wasn't really a lot of, I would say, marketing discipline inside the company from a traditional perspective. And so it was sort of organic growth and there was a lot of ideas floating around and it was sort of, and it's a big bang life cycle. And so Snapdragon was sort of this idea that was a product brand that sort of was birthed and it started to gain a life on its own. 
And there was not really attention or much attention paid to the Qualcomm brand other than it was the name of the company. But there was really not a lot of interest in what does that really mean? And is there a story? And actually, is there a brand exercise around Qualcomm? And so Qualcomm kind of sat there. Snapdragon was sort of marketed and there was investment and effort put behind building Snapdragon with certain audiences. And so it started to grow and awareness and preference and lots of affinity and relevance started to grow, but then Qualcomm was sort of sitting here. And then again, before my time, there was a decision made to also try to gain some additional exposure for Qualcomm. And I think the methodology that was deployed was, well, why don't we bring the two brands together since Qualcomm is our company name, let's nest the Snapdragon brand underneath it and tie them together, hopefully then lifting the Qualcomm brand. And so it was almost like hitch the Qualcomm wagon to the Snapdragon horse, so to speak. And I understand why that might have been a decision, again, at the time that the company would have made. But as it turns out, it really didn't serve its purpose or the intent, rather. And what happened was, is it created a logo development exercise that proved to be problematic with both our customers as well as from a translation standpoint, especially outside of English-speaking countries, whereas the Qualcomm name and brand did not translate well into other languages, but Snapdragon did. So oftentimes you'd end up with one English word, one translated word stacked up on top of each other, which didn't bode well from a building of awareness and preference and understandability and favorability perspective. And then you had the issue with the logo becoming very big, both Qualcomm and Snapdragon are very long words. Plus you have an icon and the fireball that needed to be attached and it became very hard for our partners to co-brand with. And so it ended up creating more problems than it solved. (laughs) And so we, when I came into the organization, I always had, at least intuitively in my mind, questioned that decision and felt like, wouldn't we be able to do more for both in the long run with the audiences that need to understand both if we separated the two? But it was not my call at that time. And so one of the things I started thinking about as Penny and I were planning the succession plan was pushing this issue a little bit. And as Cristiano was ascending to CEO, having conversations with him about this idea that let's look at separating them again and really giving Snapdragon its own white space and its own clear air to grow in the direction that I know Cristiano wanted it to grow in and myself included in that, and then give Qualcomm its proper love and attention and nurturing with the audiences that are important to understand the Qualcomm story. So we decided to split the brands about a little less than a year ago, back apart. And it's been a great exercise in new thinking and our ability to build new muscle around pushing more and more into the consumer space with Snapdragon, as well as understanding how we, where and how we tie the two together. And we looked at different models as we were going through this exercise, right? We looked at the Xbox Microsoft model, for example. If I were to describe how we're treating Snapdragon and Qualcomm, I would say probably the Xbox Microsoft example would be the closest. Mm -hmm. Xbox is a gaming brand. It sort of stands alone, but it is loosely associated to Microsoft when it's appropriate without damaging its brand goodness in its relevance in the category uh, where its main audience lives, but building that association where it makes sense with certain audiences. That's the approach that we're taking with Snapdragon and Qualcomm going forward, is building that brand association where necessary and where it makes sense, but letting Snapdragon have its own life and its own clear air and its own personality in the product categories where it lives and with the audiences, which is primarily a tech influencer, consumer audience, have its its white space and its clear air to grow both from uh, an awareness preference or relevance and affinity perspective. That's awesome. It's a great identity having looked at it from the outside looking in yeah. of Snapdragon and and to your point around the Xbox and Microsoft example, I can definitely see how Snapdragon can help push or pull Qualcomm into new areas potentially, or at least new audiences for that matter. And the tech influencer audience is interesting because you've announced a bunch of stuff recently related to the Snapdragon brand. I'd love to look at a couple of those with you. And if you could tell me more about what you're doing in the gaming and metaverse space, I know there was a esports league or ESL gaming partnership that you announced with Snapdragon. 
Yeah, absolutely. So in building, again, building a full funnel sort of for Snapdragon amongst this audience or these audiences, we're really looking at the both the platforms that we create that are branded Snapdragon, the experiences that those platforms enable, and the passion points around those experiences. And then we're leaning in with our brand through not only just traditional marketing tactics like advertising and social and all that kind of stuff, but with partnerships that help us tell that story within that passion point and experience layer. So for example, gaming you brought up is a perfect example. Gaming is something that is a industry leading feature set and experience layer that the Snapdragon mobile platform enables. And so it's a differentiator for the brand. It's a differentiator for the category. And it's something that there's a really rich audience that is um, passionate about. So we've leaned in on gaming in several different ways from an experience layer perspective, all the way through to brand partnerships. And one of the newest additions to our 360 degree marketing strategy around building affinity for Snapdragon in the gaming space is this partnership with ESL, which we've announced just recently, which is that we are going to take mobile esports together with ESL to a whole different level. And it's really about taking trends that are already happening in gaming, which is the revenue is shifted to mobile. That's where the growth is. It's the democratization of gaming because the ability for people to play anytime, anywhere. Add on to that the additional capabilities that our platform brings, coupled with 5G and cloud gaming, and the fact that AAA titles are more and more moving into these small screen form factors because the performance is there from a CPU, GPU perspective, but also the connectivity to allow full streaming with really ultra low latency. And you've got a combination for a really compelling experience that gamers can actually engage in anytime, anywhere. And if you talk about platform proliferation, the fact that it's not going to take a $4,000 home-built PC or a $2,000 console in order for you to have a great gaming experience really democratizes gaming in general, but also brings a whole new layer to esports where what we like to call with ESL is the era of everyone, right? Mm -hmm. It's really about you can go from zero to hero through a mobile esports and mobile gaming experience in a way that you could not achieve on other platforms without some serious barriers. Mm -hmm. And so this era of everyone and this democratization of esports, both from a gameplay perspective, an enablement perspective, an accessibility perspective, but also from a diversity and inclusion perspective is pretty amazing. Because if you look at mobile gaming and whether you look at it from where it started with games like Candy Crush and individual player games, all the way to massive multiplayer games, the mix of types of people playing is quite different, quite inclusive, it's quite diverse versus the PC gaming ecosystem and the console gaming ecosystem, which skews still to this day, mostly male, right? Mostly younger, mostly male. And breaking into that, even though there's been lots of valiant efforts to do that, it's still far from an equalizing factor. So we really like the opportunity of mobile esports and bringing mobile esports to the next level with ESL for so many reasons. And it's really going to be a, a great platform for us to build upon, not only affinity for Snapdragon, but also the prowess of our elite gaming feature stack and this idea of enabling and allowing accessibility for so many more people around the world to engage in esports, to compete in esports, from novice competitions all the way through to masters, both digitally and physically with a total prize pool of $2 million. So this is serious, right? It's not junior league. This is serious esports. And we're really excited about partnering with ESL because ESL is the world's biggest esports company. And when I thought about who do we do this with, when I was at Intel, I had the fortunate experience of being part of IEM and a part of that initiative and seeing how esports grew up firsthand in the PC ecosystem. So in ESL was our partner to help create what is and what was IEM. And, and so when I thought about, okay, who could we go do this with? The first group that came into my mind, the first partner that came into my mind, and really the only one was ESL. So yeah. really excited about our partnership with ESL. We're launching Snapdragon Pro Series, our mobile esports competition, global mobile esports competition this year. And we're hoping it to be a raging success.
It sounds amazing. And what a great demonstration of what technology can do in our lives. Yeah, it's a really interesting partnership from that standpoint, too. So let's talk about another one. You also are doing a collaboration between Ferrari Racing and Snapdragon. Tell me about that one. Oh, yeah, man. I am obsessed with <laughs> F1 and I knew nothing about F1 like eight months ago. So this is a new obsession for me. My, I think my OCD like is kicking in. And by the way, Netflix Drive to Survive there is not a better educational tool. If you know nothing about F1, watch Drive to Survive, and then you will know everything about F1. And I really did use that to educate myself. But our partnership with Ferrari is amazing. So this is interesting because we tend to engage in these partnerships in a different way than maybe other brands do. We are not interested in just slapping our logo on stuff. To us, it may just be me or it may just be the tech space, but I don't have the budget to just do that. There has to be meaningful purpose and there has to be deeper integration with our products and our technologies and the brand in order for these partnerships to really make sense. And Ferrari is a great example. This was not a marketing-led partnership. This was a business-led partnership. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we are engaging with Ferrari on a business level and we are helping Ferrari digitally transform the passenger vehicle side of their business through the Snapdragon digital chassis, through by way of telematics and digital cockpit and ADAS and in making Ferrari's cars and driving experiences worthy of the 21st and 22nd century type of driver is amazing in itself. But add on to that, that we looked at this relationship more holistically and we said, okay, we're going to help you on that side of the house. And then what we would love to do with you on helping us is help build awareness for Snapdragon in the space by us becoming a premier partner of Scuderia Ferrari and your F1 team. And so again, it's a two-sided relationship, mutually beneficial, win-win. Ferrari's business improves, our business improves. So I think it's a really unique way to approach these types of partnerships that not everybody really thinks about. And sometimes brands say, oh yeah, well, they're going to use my product or they're going to integrate my product into their commercials or something like that. That's all great. And I'm not saying one way is better than the other way, but the way we approach these things is really about deep, deep technology integration and showing the benefits of our products for that brand, as well as enhancing our brand through attaching ourselves to their product or their brand. And so it's a different approach that we've employed. Really excited about the Ferrari partnership. Oh my gosh, like talk about timing is everything. The fact that we just kicked off our relationship with them literally a mere amount of weeks ago. And we just made the unveiling of the car to have the Snapdragon logo on it by a matter of days and to kick off F122 with a P1, P2 at Bahrain and a P2, P3 in Saudi Arabia. What an amazing start to our partnership. And seeing that Snapdragon brands all over the place on these two amazing drivers, on this amazing F175 car, and the whole way that Scuderia Ferrari approaches partners, it truly is a family. And so it's a really great thing to be a part of. And of course, in F1, I mean, there's no more storied brand than Ferrari. Right, right. Like if you're going to go into F1, go big. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love the fact that you're both learning through this partnership, to your point, how you described it. It was business led first, obviously, then helping you elevate the Snapdragon brand or attach it to this F1 and racing in general. But like the fact that you're both going to learn through your simultaneous work together, that does make a great partnership. Yeah, there's so many synergies between the two brands. I mean, the Ferrari brands always stood for performance and mm-hmm. at a different level, right? And, right? and Snapdragon stands for premium performance. Like it's yeah. always stood for premium performance and head and shoulders above any other platform, whether you're talking about it in a smartphone or whether you're talking about it in an automotive sense, it stands for premium performance. And so there's brand synergies are there, brand association between the two. There's no disconnect. Heck, even the colors make sense. Right. right? I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, besides the yellow, uh, you know, we got the red and the black and, and they yeah. got the red and the black. And there's so many points of collaboration and complementary synergy that it's a match kind of made in heaven. That's awesome. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about okay. the corporate brand and the enterprise side, if you will. That's yeah, my word. Absolutely. And I know you mentioned when we last spoke this unbelievable number to me that the company has driven a 7x increase in your TAM or your total yes. available market. I mean, that's a crazy number. How does that happen? 
<laughs> well, it doesn't just happen overnight, but it is amazing. And the exciting thing is, is that we're already on our way. It's interesting. Our core DNA and this company has just been always rooted in this idea of inventing just earth shattering and world changing technology and products. And yes, of course, at the beginning, when we were a young, fledgling, high growth like I said, in our big bang kind of phase, we were just going crazy with invention and creating amazing technologies. And some of it ended up in really cool product categories and some of it didn't. And that was okay because it was just this entrepreneurial sort of growth engine. But as we grew up and mature, we found our places and we planted our flags and we found our North Star towards where can we take this thing, right? And what can Qualcomm be going into the future? And I think one of the great things that has happened over the last few years is organically, we were experiencing this explosive growth in all these new product categories where we had both industry ecosystems, potential customers coming to us and saying, hey, I have a new application for your roadmap or for your products. Right. And it's not traditionally where you have sold in your products or developed your roadmap. The fact that we have always developed this one technology roadmap rooted in the fact that we had to make the most integrated, small, tiny, powerful little package to fit inside of a device that fits in the palm of your hand, that put the internet in your pocket, that enabled Uber to exist. The fact that we started there Right. gives us permission and the ability to take that performance, that integration, and that sort of little package, I like to call it our tiny little dragon, <laughs> and proliferate it out into all these new categories. And if you take that DNA and that history and you couple it with what's going on in the world, right, the explosiveness with regards to connectivity and compute at the edge mm. and in the cloud, and the technology acceleration of the adoption curve that's happened over the past two years, the massive upgrade cycle that's happened over the past two years, because connectivity became like water and air, right? And electricity, it was essential to our ability to survive the last 24 months with this world's right. been through. On top of that, the fact that things need to get more intelligent. Factories need to get smarter, cars need to get safer, right? Cities need to get smarter, more efficient. Productivity needs to be enhanced based on work environment. We need to work from everywhere. We need to learn from anywhere. We need to communicate and connect from anywhere. And we need the compute power to be able to do that. At the same time, we can't be plugging our devices in every hour, 30 minutes or 45 right. minutes. We have to have power efficiency. Right. And that's also good from a sustainability perspective. So. All that really creates this inflection point in this sweet spot for what we do and what we've always done, right? Low power, high performance compute and hyper fast cutting edge connectivity across every sort of connectivity stack, whether it's Bluetooth, Wi-Fi or wireless, being the purveyors and the commercialization engine behind 5G, which is. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The next generation, the new generation, the current generation of wireless technology, on top of everything else going on, it creates this opportunity for us and gives us permission to exist and to enter into these new areas. So over the past several years, we've experienced this growth in IoT, whether it's consumer or industrial, right? Whether it's helping factories become smarter or campuses or cities, or whether it's making Peloton a more attractive device or mirror or whatever it might be on the consumer side, on top of automotive, on top of edge networking, 
bring in the metaverse and add our history in XR, right, between AR and VR and, and all the different device ecosystems we already power from HoloLens to Oculus to Vive to Pico, et cetera, plus our mobile history and our leadership in mobile, which will always still be there, that provides this tremendous opportunity for us to grow as these gazillions of devices become connected at the edge, producing data and intelligence at, again, hyper-fast speeds, ultra-low latency, and high-performance, low-power intelligence and compute, some of this data then going to the cloud, some of it staying local or at the edge. I mean, that is our sweet spot. That is where we live. There is no better market dynamic than that for us to be able to grow and expand what we do into these new industries, new categories, and going up the stack in certain cases, from silicon to software to services. Mm -hmm. So it's really this new playing field. But it's nice because it's not just a vision. It's not just us putting stuff on paper and saying, we're going to go do this. It's already right. happening. We already have the KPIs. We have the metrics. We have the revenue streams. We're growing a billion dollars a quarter in our IoT business and revenue stream. Our pipeline for automotive is over $13 billion and growing. We continue to lead in high-performance, low-power computer connectivity in the mobile space, owning the premium and high-tier Android ecosystem. And we are pushing into edge networking to make the democratization of future networks to provide the connectivity that's going to enable smart cities, that's going to enable the metaverse to exist, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all these different vectors of growth. It's a little daunting and kind of overwhelming <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> so part of my challenge has been, oh my gosh, this is a really complex yet exciting story. How do we crystallize it? into a messaging framework and a narrative that people are going to understand. Right. When you ask the question about the Qualcomm brand and how do we then harness this enterprise-wide story, we came up with this idea, and it was really Cristiano's idea of this is really all about the connected, intelligent edge. And that's a nod to our history and connectivity, our history and compute and intelligence, and the fact that the edge, this whole space, that's between in and on device and the cloud, where I think by some estimates, 64% of all data that's produced over the next 10 years is going to be at the edge. Mm. So that gives us this amazing opportunity and this amazing permission to exist and to thrive. And so we package that all up in this story around owning the connected intelligent edge. And we're just drawing these connection points, all these trends, these macro trends, all roads lead through Qualcomm in order to digitally transform these areas of our lives and society in general. That's an amazing story to your point, because you're already doing these things. If you heard any clicking in the background on my end, it was me buying Qualcomm stock. <laughs> <laughs> so apologize if you heard that in the background. But I mean, it's quite amazing. And you've had some great achievements. But I'm guessing that you and Cristiano, because you were promoted and elevated from within, you guys had all of this history and knowledge about the organization to pull from and to start to craft these stories do you feel like they gave you an advantage, an, an edge, so to speak? I mean, for me, a little bit, but for Cristiano, absolutely. I mean, he's been mm -hmm. here over 25 years and mm -hmm. he's grown up in this organization and he has been through a lot of cycles. He was part of the big bang area or growth area of the company. He's seen the company mature and grow up. He's a collection of his experiences within and he's lived in the businesses for so long, talking mm -hmm. to customers and potential customers, seeing the value that our products bring to them, seeing the potential value in these new areas. So for him, I think it was just a natural over time connecting of the dots and building this story and this direction and this path for the company to go. I've been here a little over five years, but I think the exciting thing for me has been when I came into the organization, I was running product and technology marketing for the businesses. Right. And at that time, Christian was overseeing all the businesses. And so we had a natural connection point there, which enabled us to form a very good relationship and very strong communication channel for me being able to get educated on what he was thinking, and then for me to bring him ideas and for him to bring me ideas. And so when he ascended, and then when Steve announced he was retiring and Christiana was announced as successor, then not too long after that, Penny announced she was going to retire and she announced me as her successor. It really created this nice natural transition and progression for both of us where we could really hit the ground running. 
and a lot of his ideas he could share with me more naturally because we had this relationship already and we could have conversations even prior to officially moving into our roles about how we wanted to set up the company for the next decade and what story we wanted to tell. And then from there, it was really about using inflection points like our investor conference in New York, which happened uh, towards the end of 21 as a sort of a coming out party or a pivotal moment for us to tell this story about Qualcomm for the next decade and beyond. And we spent lots of days and hours and weeks in conference rooms on Saturdays and Sundays going through <laughs> slides and whiteboarding and sharpieing and filling gaps and doing research and really constructing this story from a patchwork of ideas and ideation to something that really flowed quite naturally and really made sense to the audiences that we needed to share it with. And we needed to drive understandability and we needed to drive relevance. And for a technology company that's rooted in engineering, that's not always easy. Right. Yeah, I can imagine. You guys have a wealth of experience and obviously it's working. It's coming through in this conversation, but in all the things that you're doing in the marketplace. So kudos to both of you. Thanks. I mean, I think we made a lot of progress for sure, but I think there's still so much we can do. I'm really pushing the envelope on simplification and, yes. and simplicity and storytelling. And that's, again, a new muscle for a company like Qualcomm to be able to embrace. But we're getting there. We're getting better every day. And we're going to continue to beat the drum. And I'm going to continue to support the storyline and do whatever I can to help drive business success. To me, marketing has always been about driving business success. There is no marketing objective that you can't, you shouldn't be able to tie to a business objective. And if you can't, then you got to question yourself, why are you doing what you're doing? I'm one of those types of marketers slash CMOs is I, I have to be so tied to the business and I have to prove and show that ROI and move the ball forward constantly. I can't afford not to, and the business can't afford not to. So it's exciting, it's challenging, and it's never dull. Well, you've driven so much change and, and so much more to come as CMO. How do you think about the evolution and maybe even the restructuring of the marketing function and your organization as you took the helm? Oh, yeah. Great question. So not only did Penny and I plan the succession planning when she decided she was going to retire, but prior to that, when Cristiano was announced as the CEO, he had given us some feedback on how he thought the marketing organization could drive increased success under his CEO-ship, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And he gave us a lot of really good constructive feedback, both positive and you know, areas where he thought we could improve. So we embarked upon a restructuring exercise for the Cristiano era prior to even Penny announcing her retirement. And so what started out as an exercise that Penny was driving and I was supporting, as soon as she announced her retirement, we flipped the script and it became my restructuring exercise to drive. And then she was super supportive in helping me think through how we set the organization up for success, not only for the next 12 months, but really for the next three to five years as we explore this massive growth opportunity for the company, probably the biggest growth opportunity in our history. So we did undergo a pretty large restructuring of the organization to align to the vision that Cristiano has laid out, as well as the business alignment that was a realignment that was happening. And that sort of took hold within the months of June and July of last year. And then from there, we had an implementation phase that we worked through over several months. And it was both organizationally and structurally, as well as culturally and process. So it was really those three vectors that we looked at in this quote unquote restructuring that we made changes, we evolved, we improved, or we broke and then re put back together in a new way. So it was very holistic in its nature and explored this idea that together we succeed and it's this concept around one marketing and breaking down some of the silos and barriers and really focusing everybody on business success, that marketing success equals business success and our business success has to be driven and tied to our marketing success. So really a lot of change for the organization, but I think real positive change. And we did it in a way that I think drove excitement and energy and by the way, we're doing this pandemic, right? Yeah. So we had the extra added challenges of not being together physically for much of this work and me taking over the organization at a time where everybody was spread out across their homes and the world. And that made it an extra level of challenge. 
but I am really pleased with the progress we've made mm-hmm. since July of last year and the way that the teams have gelled and coalesced, the way that we started looking at things more left to right and right to left versus just up to down. And I've had the opportunity to bring on some great new talent as well and give my existing team opportunities to explore new things. So I've really broken, kind of cracked the egg a little bit and broken things open to give opportunities to bring in new fresh eyes, as well as to give people an opportunity to grow and within the organization. And it's been a kind of a special time, I think, for the team and just more to come. That's really good. I'm curious, just one quick follow up on the new skills or new talent ads. Where did you need to add or bring in talent, if you don't mind sharing? Sure. So under the restructuring, I organized around these new org clusters. Some of them had natural leaders already ready to take on their new responsibilities. For example, my old world stayed fairly the same, pretty much the same. And I had a successor already in mind for that role. So that was one of the easy ones. And that was the product and technology marketing area. But I reorganized some of our marketing communications functions around digital marketing and brand and production creative and looked at restructuring that into a bigger org cluster through the process of the pandemic and the restructuring had a leader decide to lead the organization to pursue a different career path that opportunistically gave us the opportunity then to look for some new talent to come and lead that new org cluster so i was able to hire somebody from the outside to take on the role of the head of marketing communications for the team so she's been a fantastic add to the team again fresh eyes new thinking very strategic awesome. very seasoned A great addition to the team. And then I also combined a bunch of small little teams that were out there, kind of little satellites, all in their own right, doing good work, but really needed to be stitched together by a bigger thought and a bigger idea around ecosystem channel and customer and sales enablement. So I formed a super team or a super cluster around those disciplines. And again, that gave me the opportunity to bring in some new talent to lead that organization. And I just recently hired a woman named Carmen True from HP, who brings a wealth of knowledge and information and background and experience to lead that team. So that's been another great new ad that I've been able to add to the team. We also reorganized around the need for greater intelligence and insights for the team. So I pulled together a new org cluster around that and had had an existing team member who's really, really good at what they do in that area. And they're leading that team. And then I've got planning and operations who I basically had an amazing planning and operations person on my former team who I just elevated to take on the role for the broader team. And she's amazing as well. So I was able to give people opportunities to grow. I was able to bring on some new talent. It was a nice mix And now I've got a really solid, nice senior staff of leaders on my team ready to hit the ground running and build on all the great work that has been done and the great work to come. Well, I want to switch gears. We do this on the show and we'd like to get to know you a little bit more on a personal note. And my favorite question to ask folks is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Experience in my past, yes, I mean, obviously there's been several, (laughs) but as far from a work perspective or a career perspective, I often say that I learn a lot from the people that I work with throughout my career. I've learned a lot from people that were amazing to work for and work with, and I could say were mentors and were people that exemplified what leadership is, and I learned a lot from those folks. I think I also learned equally from people that weren't so great. And I learned as much what not to do as I did of what to do. And every experience is a learning experience. So once there was a time in my career where I ventured out and wanted to start to try my hand at the startup world. So I took a risk. I had a young family, but it was an exciting new space. And so I took the leap into a startup and hit the ground running. And it was really interesting and exciting and had all the uh, makings of a really incredible journey and ride. But what I didn't know at the time was that the leadership was not what I thought it was. And one of those experiences where I had to work for an individual whose moral compass was not aligned with mine. But again, I learned a lot and it was a painful experience to go through at times, but it was a good experience because like I said, I learned a lot 
and it helped give me another puzzle piece to the puzzle that is my career and in the mosaic that makes up someone's career. And I don't think I would be where I am today. And I don't think I would be the type of leader that I am today without having gone through that. Right. Well, and I don't know who crafted this saying, but something around the aspect of pain equals growth. Right. (laughs) I think it's very true. I've done the same thing. And they're almost probably more vivid, the examples of what not to do or what I don't want to repeat. Yes. (laughs) And the the things where I nailed it or got great advice from somebody that I did incorporate, but the other ones tend to be more vivid for sure. Yeah, for sure. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting all over? I've always been the type of person that's when a window of opportunity opened, I jump first and ask questions later. And I think that's served me for pretty well. Maybe not in the case I just gave you, but for the most part, I think it served me pretty well. So I definitely think that that served me well. So I wouldn't change that. At one point in my career, again, one of my mentors pulled me aside and said to me, how you do something is almost as important as the what you do. Yeah. So if I was going back and thinking about my younger self, because I've always been very results oriented and very driven and very competitive. I would maybe tell myself to be less of a bull in a china shop at times and focus on the how and not just the what. And that's something that I had to learn. That comes with growth and that comes with constructive criticism and training and experience and age and all those good things. But maybe if I could whisper in my younger self's ear, I'd tell myself, slow down a little bit, look around and make sure that there's not carnage in your path. (laughs) Yeah, no, it makes sense. Are there topics that you're trying to learn more about or you think marketers need to be learning more about yourself? Yeah, I mean, there's several. I actually just tasked my team to start looking more deeply into some of these trends that are going on that I think marketers need to maybe not as in some areas, maybe deeply look into, but at least have a good understanding of what's going on as it might relate to how you either talk to your audiences, how you interact with audiences, how you perform commerce with your target consumer, whoever that might be. And those are areas like crypto, NFTs, Web3, just understanding these platforms and understanding what's going on in these spaces Again, whether it's tertiary or primary understanding, I think it's going to be really important over the next five years to understand these macro trends and to figure out as a brand, what's your place or what is it that you may need to do to adapt and or to participate in some of these areas? Yeah. It makes so perfect sense. And I agree. I kind of went down the Web3 rabbit hole a few weeks ago, and I'm still digging myself out. (laughs) But it's fascinating because you don't know what's going to stick, right? You don't know what's going to hit and what the next, because I mean, we're talking about the next evolution, that the evolution that came before it created things like Facebook and Twitter. And those are huge global platforms. So we have to be knowledgeable, at least knowing what's going on. And I don't know if Web3 is absolutely synonymous with the metaverse or not. I think it's not. I think there's two different things, but related. Exactly. Similar to blockchain and crypto. It's underlying technology versus how it's applied. By the way, just understanding the terms. I know. And the difference in the terms. I mean, you know, it's like a lesson in vocabulary because there's not a great understanding. I think some people use them interchangeably. They do. Yeah. It's definitely confusing if you haven't dug into it. And it's still confusing even what you have for that matter. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Two last questions for you. On the marketing front or on the personal front, I should say, are there brands or companies or causes that you follow you think other people should take notice of? Yeah. So I grew up in San Diego for the most part, and I do love seeing local companies and local brands do well and grow up and organically. And so I'm a big supporter of that. Even here at Qualcomm, if we're engaging in some sort of activity that I, where I can leverage a local brand, I'll leverage that. The Cutwater story is an amazing story. The guy that broke out of Ballast Point and took Cutwater with them and then grew Cutwater and then sold it. And so that's just a great, between Ballast Point and Cutwater, great story in the spirits and craft beer space. The Viore story is a great story from an athletic wear alternative to the Lululemons of the world kind of thing. I think that's a great brand story. I love the Peloton brand story. I really do. I know that Mm -hmm. they're going through one of those life stage 
challenges that a lot of companies go through. But I, I do wish them all the success. And Dara is an amazing person and as their CMO. And I hope that, and we obviously power through our technology, some of their experiences. So we're a partner of theirs and really wish them all the success in the world because I love their sense of community. I love what they've done with their instructors and I love what they're all about. And then I would say from a cause perspective, one of the things that's really important to me personally and where I've attached that to my platform, I guess I would say as CMO is bridging the digital divide. Mm. There was a spotlight shown on the digital divide during the pandemic. It really did show that the digital divide, it exists, it's real. And it's not just in rural America or in Africa, right? Or in Indonesia, it's in downtown New York City, it's in Harlem, it's in, in LA, it's in Southeast San Diego, it's everywhere. And it's not about geography, it's also about socioeconomics and it's about access to technology. And it's about regulation and it's about providing connectivity and providing access to technology in a more ubiquitous manner than historically technology has been deployed mm. and technology has been available. And I think Qualcomm has and can have a bigger, meaningful role to play in bridging the digital divide. That's something that's been important to me. If I can do more just with my own voice, as well as bringing the solutions that Qualcomm has to the table to help move that initiative into a positive direction, that's one thing that's important to me. I love it. Well, last question for you from a marketing standpoint, what do you feel is either the biggest opportunity or threat that's facing marketers? I think maybe this is one and the same. I think a big challenge for marketers right now is how to lead through an era of psychology and attitudes and behaviors that have driven so much divisiveness mm. and so much polarization that threading the needle has become very difficult. And for marketers, there are landmines everywhere, Yeah. right? If you lean too far one way, you alienate X percent of your potential audience. If you lean too much the other way, you alienate Y percentage of your potential audience. If you stay too neutral, you risk alienating everybody. And so it's like a minefield. But I will tell you that I think people are done. I think they're sick of the hate. I think they're sick of the polarization. I think they're sick of the divisiveness. There's always going to be the fringe on either side screaming at the top of their lungs for attention, right. for the ridiculousness. But I think it's time to lead and it's time to lead with empathy and it's time to bring people together, both from a politics perspective, but also from a business perspective. And I think the brands that can lead with empathy, drive collaboration, cohesion, and goodness, I think those are the brands that are going to win at the end of the day. And it's not about not being woke enough or being too woke. And it's not about extremes. It's not. And I know some brands have fallen into those traps, but it's not about that. It's about decency. It's about empathy. It's about humanization. And I think if we could take a step back and really realize that, we'll all be better off. And I would be happy if brands led that charge. To be honest with you, companies, private sector, brands, if they could lead that charge, because as we all know, government's not setting a very good example. Right. Today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I would definitely be an advocate for that. And I think we could all do more and our part to drive us in, in a better direction. Well, I don't know whether to say amen, vote for you, or uh, <laughs> just just clap really loudly, because I agree with everything you just said. I think it's amazing. So I'm not running for office. <laughs> <laughs> I have too many skeletons in my closet. I could never run for office. But yeah, it seems to make common sense, right? Yes. It seems to be there. Right. But I mean, man, common sense is locked in a cave somewhere. It's a scarcity right now, yeah. honestly. I know. It needs to be um, let out of jail. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you, Don, for coming on the show and look forward to the next conversation we get to have. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed speaking with you. It was a pleasure. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to marketing today, 
please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.